Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Anytime during my 10 years, I could do this. na 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 that's power. That's power. Oh, man. down to Hartman's foot. Here's the snap. The ball is down. The kick is up. And it's gone. Wolfpack wins. It's time for the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Here's your host, James Curl. All right, folks, welcome to the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. We've got another lovely crowd here at Amedios. Uh, we welcome uh, them and invite you, the uh, listener at home, to come on down to Amedios and join us one of these fine Monday evenings. We would love to see you uh, come out and join us as we record the show each and every week here at Amedios. Um, I want to uh, to introduce our guest uh, right up at the top because I know he is a, uh, a big fan of Amedios. Uh, Joe Giglio from the News and Observer is joining us this week. How are you doing, Joe? Good, Carl. How are you? Good to see you. Uh, and I'm glad that uh, you were able to join us this week. And, and Matt is here with us as well. Uh, Matt, I think you and I have over the, the year uh, pretty well established what we enjoy here at Amedios. But yeah. uh, Dave has asked me to, to make sure to ask our guests uh, what their favorite meal is here at Amedios. And so, Joe, I will ask you, uh, when you come to Amedios, what's your, your weapon of choice? Sausage sandwich. Sausage sandwich. <laughs> Can't go wrong. <laughs> it's, it's a very solid choice, no yeah. doubt about it. Do you, do you have a preference on how you get it? Do you get it with cheese, marinara? I don't, yeah. The, yeah. The listening people need to know. Yeah, no. I've <laughs> got to get a little sauce there, a little cheese. Yeah. yeah. It, they or you right. can go either way. You don't, you don't have to. You can change it up. Yeah. One of Amidio's strengths is like they're an, an Italian restaurant, but everything else that they do is really good. Like, yeah. Like yes. it says, the chicken tenders are awesome. So it's, it's, <laughs> yes. it's not something you would expect to get when you come in here. Well, yeah. I mean, they, you know, obviously they know that, uh, you know, everybody's palate's a little bit different. And if you're in the mood for fine Italian, but perhaps your kids are not uh, feeling the pasta, uh, yeah. they can get uh, chicken tenders or any of the other you know, variety of sandwiches or appetizers that they have here so mm-hmm. uh you know again if you're out there listening and you need a good place to to eat uh please stop by medios let them know that the podcast sent you because it always helps us and makes us look good and you know justifies the uh, the free beer and food that we get every week <laughs> when we do the show mm-hmm. um all right uh we did mention that joe Giglio is here from the news and observer again and it's good to see you again joe uh i'm trying to remember the last time we actually had you on the show it's probably been over a year or so maybe um, a lot uh, has changed and transpired. Uh, this uh, basketball season in particular is what we'll focus on, I think, primarily, but uh, just in general. But um, let's start with, with basketball. I think the big news, obviously, um, you know, beyond the fact that this was the first time under the Godfrey era that the team didn't make the NCAA tournament, was the fact that, um, you know, Cat, which I think we all expected, did declare for the NBA decided to stay in. I think initially it looked like he might be just testing the waters, but then did eventually decide to stay in the draft. Uh, but then the Martin Twins decided to transfer. 
And uh, then we got word that uh, Malik Abu is also going to be testing the waters, but as far as we know at this point, uh, does not plan to stay in the draft or is at least just going through the evaluation phase. So I guess, um, you know, we faced heading into the basketball season a lot of personnel uh, hits that ultimately impacted the, you know, team's success this year. Do you think we're going to face some of those same issues heading into next season? Well, the problem with right now they have eight players on scholarship on the roster. So the problem with starting with eight is if you have an injury like this year with Terry Henderson, then you, you know, seven minutes into the season, mind you, right? Then you're in the hole. <laughs> That's the problem, you know, with some of the defections. I don't think um, the Martin Twins exit was necessarily surprising to you know the people inside the program. You know, you look at some of the math involved in the minutes and the, and the people in the positions that they play. Uh, every time this year, someone would ask Mark Godfrey about Dennis Smith, Terry Henderson, and Torin Doran sitting at the end of the bench. Mm-hmm. I called them the rescue squad. <laughs> right. But it's like you can't sit there and clamor for them and not think the people who are playing. Not, not, that, not the fans affect that, but, but people can do the math on the minutes. Yeah. And so, I mean, is that uh – is that a you know we we've had um, you know folks from I, I guess you could say the old school Ernie Myers and whatnot that have been on the show with us and we've talked about the you know the element of com- competition on the roster that used to be there that doesn't seem to be there or at least not the desire to have the same sort of competition for minutes um, is this you know is is losing the Martin Twins kind of a casualty of that or, I mean is it fair that they decided to uh, to head elsewhere looking for minutes or should we expect the players today should stick and fight for minutes versus uh, you know the guys who are behind and the folks who are clamoring for like you said yeah I, mean, I think it's fair for them it's fair for all these guys if they want to leave <laughs> and they want a better opportunity it, the dynamic here though with with twins. Right. I wrote this in the paper. There was enough minutes for one of them next year, but not two. Yeah. So I don't think they wanted to go through a season where one of them maybe is happy and one of them's not. And and it's it was difficult to even predict which one was going to be happy and which one wasn't. Yeah. You know, just based on the way the season ended, Caleb, uh, Cody actually replaced Caleb in the starting lineup, mm-hmm. and you could see, you know, in, in the last game against Duke, uh, NC State went small or. For what now qualifies as going small, they went with four four guards basically with Abu, and uh, it, these projected starting lineups that I live to do for you know the insanity of it because I can't predict <laughs> yeah. grad transfers. And but I would think that's something they would do next year is start four smaller guys with Abu, mm-hmm. who I think will unless be back. somebody you know like you said a grad transfer or something yeah, or yeah they, they could, could add somebody else in. but that seems to be the best strategy. And even under that strategy, you're still trying to count the minutes for, for both of them. Yeah. And I think that's where the the part of it, yeah, it's absolutely fair for them. And I wrote this too, you know, like in two years, they're going to show up in the NCAA tournament, maybe with Marshall or, you know, somebody like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you're not going to want to play them. I promise yeah. you that. No. Right. And when they're fifth year seniors, Team, you're not going to want to play them. Teams playing them already. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's tough because transfers, I mean, or twins, because they're always going to play the same position. And that's the other part of it. Yeah. They play the same position. Especially wing. <laughs> the Collins twins at Stanford, you could just put two of them in the post and you know run a, like some kind of flex offense or something with them down there, and they're going to get their touches. But And they're so good that who else was going to take their minutes? But when you have a glut of wings, they're both 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, they have different skill sets, but it, you know, it, somebody's going to lose minutes. There. Yeah. And especially after this year, maybe to your point about competition. I think it's harder 
when when you've had minutes to give up minutes, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe in Ernie's case, you you minutes were were a gradual, uh, you know, it was a build up. By the yeah. time you're senior, you had all these minutes. Yeah, you know, maybe you have, look at Theo Pinson at Carolina. He played 12 minutes last year. He played 19 this year. Average 19 this year. He'll play more next year. <laughs> and if he comes back, he plays more next year. So when you have that situation where you feel like you have forward momentum, you're more inclined, I think, to stay. How much is that? Do you think is on roster building on the coaches? And it's not necessarily like finger pointing, but it seems like the successful programs UNC, Kansas, Duke have that happen a lot. It can't be a coincidence. You know, you don't see kids really transferring out that much because they tend to get like Plumleys. Every sure. year, they both you know they all gradually got better, got more minutes. And you know, NC State, it seems like there's an issue of. You know, maybe there's fluctuating minutes each year, and maybe that's because it's an eight-man roster, and he doesn't really, you know, ever play more than seven or eight players. But I wonder how much of that's on, you know, coaches, or how much of it's just a coincidence. Because I hate, you know, everyone always says Scott Fried's kids all transfer, but every, there's like 450 a year. That's more yeah. than one per program. So it's not just him, but the successful, the real successful programs. I mean, Duke lost Benajay, and that was like a huge deal that they, you know, somebody transferred from them. I've actually talked to Mark about this. You know, mostly it's after practice and, and kind of away from everybody. But mm-hmm. one of the points he makes is when you have a program, and sometimes people don't want to hear this, but when you're Kansas or Carolina, and Duke's had their share of transfers yeah. now. So when you're Kansas or Carolina or Kentucky, the the guys that they sign almost are all five-star guys. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't want to transfer because it, it's them admitting that they failed. Yeah. Whereas when you get a guy who's a three-star, four-star, or he's at NC State, or he's mm-hmm. at Syracuse, or he's at any other major yeah. program, it's not their fault. It's the coach's fault. Yeah. You know, and they because they can just blame whoever for we not saw that, playing. We saw that with Dethay. Sure. Same thing. So the sure. Same thing. I mean, you, you can pick any number of guys. Yeah. Andrew White at, at Kansas yeah. is playing for Nebraska Yeah, now. he's doing fairly well. Yeah, I mean, it happens. But I, to his point, I, I think that's pretty accurate there where you, you – you get in a situation where you feel like it's not that you're shifting blame, it's but you also feel like it's easier to do. And, and the five stars all think yeah, everyone, everyone thinks they can make the pros, but the five stars go, look, well now I got to sit out a year, then I come back, and then I have to play well, and then I, I'm effectively a junior. Whereas the Martin twins probably are the understanding they're not going to make the NBA. They'll probably play in Europe, but they want to maximize the time that they do have to play at a major level. So, yeah, and maybe, I mean, you know, you mentioned the programs that have guys that are able to stick: Duke, Kansas, yeah, Kentucky, I, uh, and, Kentucky. And part of that, uh, Carolina, it, is 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 just part of the benefit. One of the you know the rich getting richer is that you know when they're when you're at a program that has prestige, yeah, you know, it's you easier to convince it. guys to stay there for some of the other ancillary benefits that come with that. You know, you get more attention mm-hmm. from scouts, more than likely. Yeah. You know, you're going to get... Uh, it's like Alabama with football. You're back up at Alabama, you're still going to get drafted. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because you are where you are. So it's it's harder, I think, for non-elite, the, the non-1% of college basketball, mm-hmm. as it were, but, to get some of these guys to stick. And it, it's, it's like you said, the riskier richer. And part of it's, you know, now they're already established, but it's easier to maintain that. It, it, right. It goes one way or the other. Like, you know, they're, they're probably good because maybe 30 years ago they were able to keep, well, people didn't transfer like that, but they, they were good at the right time to be good. The 80s, the 90s, with Sports Center, everything was building, and state... You know, right when Sports Center was getting big, and you know, TV was coverage was huge, just when State went through the Golenbach thing, sure. and so they didn't have the you know the right years to be great, and so you know, UNC has the Jor- you know Jordans, and then mm-hmm. you know you got all that going on, 
And so it, it's really hard for programs to stick. I mean, even Virginia is, you know, what they're doing is incredible, just thinking about that. With seniors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the, But they had their tra- share of, fair share of transfers. Mm-hmm. His first class, like, yeah, there were like, it was like four of the five he brought in and mm-hmm. left. You know, and, I, and Anthony Gill is a fourth year, fifth year guy, but he was a transfer who came in. Darius Thompson's a transfer. Yeah, and, and Nichols, Austin Nichols next year for them is yeah. a transfer from oh, Memphis. Yeah, so it's hard. I mean, it's no matter where you are, it's hard. So yeah. if you look at the teams that are outside of the, the Blue Bloods, the Dukes and the Carolinas and the ACC that have won ACC titles, being Miami, Virginia, transfers who have too. done it through – you know, senior Miami, laden, yeah. senior laden teams with you know good experience. Miami had Kaji was a transfer, and that I mean, is year. that is that the model that teams outside of the Blue Bloods should be following? Building, you know, maybe not you know rosters of elite guys who are one and duns or even you know fringe one and duns, but uh, maybe trying to build rosters that uh, grow and develop over time. Is is there one right way? I mean, let me ask you this: Do you, Could you see Mark Gottfried switching his philosophy <laughs> no. and doing that? Yeah, no, I don't. And it's funny. One, speaking of things that we talked about, Mark and I talked about. He, he had a little project there and, and did a little research on the number of draft picks or NBA players on each NCAA champion. And every year, there's three or four on, except like the Syracuse team, yeah. in 03. Mm-hmm. They had, had two. two. Yeah. And then there was a, the the second UConn team only had one or two. Yeah. Yeah, and and Napier, yeah, Napier or was, was the, the only first one. UConn. Either one. So Kim yeah, Kimball Walker yeah. in that year and then So he basically Napier. said, "Look, you got if you're going to win the thing, which is what he's trying to do." Yeah. You got to you got to have NBA talent. And now, yeah. that doesn't mean there's only one way to get it. You know, last last year he recruited a, a Greek kid, this year he's recruiting a Turkish kid. Yeah. Maybe there's other ways. He's to fishing in the right waters. Yeah. He's not, He's not. you know, sometimes Sydney would go for it and then just go for some kid who wanted to play, whereas Godfrey's not really taking those kids. So he's willing to take chances for better or worse. I mean, Godfrey's had some notable near misses with guys. Uh, how, how, <laughs> how impactful is that when you invest the kind of time and resources on trying to get a guy and then come in second place to a, a Bryce Duke Johnson, or, a Duke or a Kansas, State was like with Devontae Graham? So yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean that that has to hurt your ability to build a program, doesn't it? I think so. I mean, what what Mark says is. It's not the guys you get. It's not the guys you miss on. It's the ones that you take that don't work out. That's something that he likes to say. Um, and he basically says he's not going to stop pursuing the best players. You saw that with Bam Adebayo this year. Who mm-hmm. Obviously, there's an impact there. We're talking about yeah. guys who are not on the roster. and um, that There was a lot of time invested in pursuing him. Same with Brandon Ingram. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a lot of people think Carolina was Brandon Ingram's second choice. I I think if you put a lie detector test on him, I think he would tell you that State was his second choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not that it matters. Yeah. I mean, right. <laughs> but again, that's a guy, a player they spent a lot of time pursuing, mm-hmm. uh, didn't get. So, you know, I I look at it and I look at you know I look at Jaquan Raymond at Middle Tennessee the other day, mm-hmm. helping them beat yeah. Michigan State and maybe the biggest upset in the tournament history. And I'm thinking to myself, but that kid never would have played at State. No. Right. right. So, so it's like, but he went off and as a fifth year guy, helped his team. You know, so it's 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 one of those things where it's like, can you do it the way that Virginia's doing it, where you develop guys? Like, I see the class they're bringing in yeah, this year is pretty good. They're all like 50, 60th in the country. Sure. Yeah. 
and, and will they de- will they stay? Will they develop? I mean, that's his track record. And they all have that like tangible skill set that Bennett, Bennett seems to like. You know, they all can kind of do everything okay. Fits into yeah, yeah. But uh, at the same time, I think if you asked Mark if they had Trevor Lacey this year, which they thought they were going to have Trevor yeah. Lacey this year, <laughs> yeah. That's a how completely would, how would different team. Be different? Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, I don't think he would have changed what he did to get to that point. Right. Yeah, and it's always difficult trying to, you know, reverse engineer history based on where you stand and where guys wind up. Yeah, because you know? everybody at some point has finished second to some really yeah. great player. Yeah, and be- and because some guys have transferred, that opened the door for other people who mm-hmm. did fill those spots on the roster. So. You might say, well, what if we still had so-and-so? Well, if you did, you probably wouldn't have player Y who yeah. came in to fill the shoes. If Lacey came X. back, I don't know if it's, it's – I don't think it's a it's a fair trade. But if Lacey comes back, you don't get Maverick Rowan. Yeah, probably I can not. almost guarantee you you don't get Maverick yeah. Rowan. Yeah, so it's uh, it's difficult to uh, to play the what-if game, I guess, when it comes to those sorts of things with roster moves and, and whatnot. Um, is is NC State basketball still on firm footing? Uh, you know, two Sweet Sixteens in four years is a pretty start. It's a pretty solid start for any coaching tenure. Uh, I know there were some folks who were probably a little bit, um, you know, uh, unsure about how things played out this year. Um, is that just normal fan angst when things don't pan out? I think so. I mean, even Kentucky in this run that Calipari's on, they had an NIT. Yeah, year with really two bad. state transfers. By, by the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, UNC had an NIT a couple of years ago. You, Roy had an NIT team. Um, it happens. I think the injury again. The, the problem is by having the smaller roster, you put yourself in a situation where one injury does kind of put you in a situation where you're in trouble. Now, I say that, and you look at Oregon. They played seven guys. I mean, Dylan mm-hmm. Ennis got hurt. They're transferred from Villanova. Yeah. He played nine minutes this year or yeah. something like that. Like, barely it, more than... They had so much talent that... And not guys who were highly recruited either. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I get to your point of there's different ways to build the mousetrap. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, I, you know, I mean, I think... I think, you know, when guys leave, like, even though everyone expected Cat to go, and even maybe if you did the math on the Twins... It's still one of those things, and and then a, a booze decision. You look at it and you go, "Well, that that doesn't that looks like there's something wrong, right?" But I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's symptomatic of uh, uh, Mark having an issue managing the roster. I think it's more of if you take each individual piece and kind of add it together, you get more of a clearer picture of. It's somewhat of a cop out to say, but it's kind of how college basketball is now. Mm-hmm. Guys transfer, guys come in too. Mm-hmm. You know, when they added um, Terry, when they added Torin, you know, you you see that, and you, there's it's a zero sum. Yeah, I mean, if somebody good comes in, somebody yeah, somebody good's probably going to go out, and that may be a good sign that Torin must be progressing pretty well if the Twins aren't confident enough to be in front of him. Yeah, maybe. I, I, yeah, a positive way to look at one it. One of them was, and again, one of them probably was ahead of Torrent. I think that was again. If you just take each each yeah. individual decision, and then you know, with Abu, who I call sweetheart, <laughs> he, you know, he, why wouldn't you? I mean, he if he gets if he gets invited to the combine, like if he actually ends up at the combine, he's going to test through the roof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's one thing perhaps to be worried about. Arm length and jump, jumping ability. Yeah, I mean, um, 
but why wouldn't you go mm-hmm. and be evaluated? Like Isaiah Hicks from Carolina, another oh, yeah, guy. He, who, he shows up at the combine. I mean, he's people are going to love him. Yeah. yeah, you know, another guy state recruited. Um, yeah, second for second for him. Yeah. Second for Bryce Johnson. <laughs> several players. Um, but that that the new rule were, were the extra time. Mm-hmm. Not only extra time, but. Okay, so Abu just finished his sophomore year. He's allowed to do it again after his junior year. Yeah. So, so it's not just a one-time no, thing. Yeah. No. So, I nice. mean, it would actually not – it would be dumb not to go yeah. and have them tell you instead of, yeah. you know, Joe the runner, Joe the agent's buddy, Joe yeah. your uncle's uncle's uncle telling yeah. you, hey, man, if you come out, you're, you're a first-round pick. Yeah. And, and one of the things I was we were talking about before the show is even say, say you still get a second-round draft grade, right? And Gottfried said Abu won't go if he's not a first-rounder. Right. But he gets a second round draft grade, but now he's kind of got their attention. The scouts yeah. like, we like this guy. We just don't think he's developed quite enough. Now they're going to be watching all his games. And when he does have that, ba- like a Cedric Simmons game or something, you know, something like that, or Malachi Richardson the other day, now all of a sudden you're up like 10, 15 spots because they see the game that you had against Towson or whatever it was. Um, not that that would get you drafted, but you know, they see all your good performances. They don't just look at your numbers at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, familiarity with these scouts can't hurt, yeah, certainly. So, um, yeah, I, I I think it would be, you know, unwise to not go through that process if you have that ability to do so. And um, so, yeah, I, I think, uh, like you said, I mean, if he tests through the roof on some of his measurables and, and really wows some programs, then maybe there's a little bit of cause for concern. But as far as what you can – Gage, it looks like he's coming back. It would be a slim chance in your mind, you think, that he doesn't return to NC State? Abu? Yeah, is. I mean, it, it only takes one team to promise you your first-round pick, but yeah, I mean, it's a weak draft. And but it's I happened see. before. Where sure. They got the first-round uh, promise and they didn't follow through or something. Right. So, like, you know, you may need to hear it from multiple teams. Or he could have a team like the Knicks or somebody that – don't have a first round pick this year, and they really like him. And they're like, you know what? You know, we, we we like you as a first rounder, but we don't have a pick. Maybe come back next year. We have a pick or something like that. Sure. So yeah. there's all kinds of advantages to it. I would be surprised if he was not he's playing not, for NC State next year. He's not yeah. tall enough to be a power forward right now. He'd have to work right. on his you know his mid range and uh, three point shooting. What does he need to do to shed the sweetheart label? <laughs> oh no, that's a term of endearment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Mark Mark called him a. His, you know, he's too, he's too nice. Called him a sweetheart, uh-huh. and and I asked when I asked him what did what did you make of this sweetheart, you know, nickname, and he, well, you know, he gave the famous line about how his parents will be happy that he's actually nice to people, <laughs> and so after games, he actually sits in the same uh, spot in the hockey locker room, and every time I see him, I say, "All right, sweetheart, what, you know, what do you got?" So. Uh, I you know I, I do think that there is an element to his game where if he got uh, just a smidge nastier he would just completely destroy people. I agree. So. I agree. And the more the more aggressive he is, and you know after that that was one of the first weeks of the ACC that he Mark made that comment. I felt like towards the end of the seat from the last two thirds of the ACC schedule, I thought he was the player that they wanted him to be. Right. You know if you look at a guy. Um, this is J.C. Zembel's guy from the Wolfpacker, Ben Ben Teal from Providence. Oh, yeah. He went from like six points a game to 18 points a game. Yeah, because he's mm-hmm. hyper-aggressive. That's what State wanted Abu to do, go from seven points to 18 points a game. Now, he right. got halfway he, there. He, yeah, he, he took a <laughs> mid-step, and you figure if he comes back. One thing, you know, and I like Cat a lot, 
mm-hmm. but he's he's not a necessarily a, a a pass first. Let me help you, point guard. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he's more of a, a Damon Lillard. You know, yeah. I could score, or even Iverson. You yeah. know, from his neck of the woods, yeah. from his he'll get a few assists, but that's not what he's looking to right. do. Right, I thought Cat's best game this year was the Duke game, the last game. Mm-hmm. Where he had, I think, six or seven assists, but yeah. they they were all of the nature of everyone is collapsing on me, just and off. I'm going to drop for a dunk. And I think one thing that will help Abu get to that 16, 17, 18 point mark next year is Dennis Smith is yeah he'll a, pass a point guard, point guard. Okay. Well, that I mean that's he's that's good. He, like we Corch uh, and I said he, he's kind of like Derrick Rose mm-hmm. is what. Uh, that's what I see Dennis as. Some, he can do both. He's he's the explosive athlete, but he's also he looks to pass a lot. I mean, from what the games that I've watched, and that could be a difference. He's not going to score twenty three points a game, right? I hope people don't think that he's going to come in and replace Cat scoring as good as he is. Yeah, I don't think that's what he's going to try to no, do. He's going to yeah. probably get thirteen a game with four or five assists, maybe you know decent amount of rebounds because he's a good athlete. Um, but he's going to be more of a tone setter and you know be the explosive player when you need him probably, but. What be the same. Uh, I was listening to the uh, the podcast that you did with mutual friend Kevin Brewer on Cat and his pro prospects, and you sure. mentioned that he might be a great guy to run a team's second offense yeah. or second second team. Is that I mean that's how you see it playing out, or uh, that would be maybe a, an ideal situation for him? Yeah, yeah, I mean to start his career. Yeah, I think that. Everybody needs a backup point card in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they carry three. All teams carry three. Yeah, and that's a pretty important spot. Now, he gets a little bit older, a little bit stronger, and his the, the progress of his jump shot has been phenomenal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. You know, people seem to forget, I'm guilty of this too, just because a guy goes pro, and the pros kind of assume this too, is that, well, this is what they are. Mm-hmm. Guys get yeah. better. Oh yeah, yeah. Hassan Whiteside <laughs> is one that I think of. No yeah. one knew who he was when he went pro. Steph Curry, yeah, Curry. <laughs> People get better. I mean, just because you go to the NBA doesn't mean you're going to stop progressing. Yeah, yeah so, it's almost like having unlimited time and resources to devote strictly to the game. All of you're basketball doing is playing basketball all better. day. Yeah, Jeff yeah. Teague would be a yeah. guy for Cat mm-hmm. to emulate. You mm-hmm. know, I think he started his career as kind of a second team point guard and has, has turned into one of the better awesome. scoring point guards in, in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, let's see. As we look at roster holes, uh, one of the guys that we've heard talk that uh, the staff is after would be Omer. Om, is it Omer or Mar? Omer. Omer. Yeah. Yurt, Yurt seven. Yurt seven. Seven uh, Yurts. Easy, easy for me to say. <laughs> um, he is playing in Turkey, and I, my understanding is that there's a chance he may decide to play pro ball over there, uh, which could complicate things with his amateur status. What, what or, I've heard, and Joe's probably heard more than I have, but that he's he's playing pro ball, or he's playing pro ball, but not as a pro. Um, right, but he's okay. and he's indicated to the team that he is going to play college basketball. Now there's rumors that maybe that they've like the bank that the team has been like putting money in his in his name places and stuff like that, but he hasn't touched it. And there's all kinds of you know rumor mill gets crazy at this point, and that could complicate. He may be one of those. He the worry is that he's like Ennis Cantor. He right. shows up and he's ready to go, and all of a sudden you don't know if he can play, and then he's he's suspended for X amount of games, but it's not. In a definite number, and mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you've relied on him. You can't get anybody else because of that. But if he's really a legit five star player, like people have said, it's you know for a program like State, it's worth the risk to try to get him. Yeah, and and there are certainly other 
big names in the mix for his services. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys have heard where we might stand if you had to put a percentage on uh, our chances of landing him. Um, I'd say they're they're firmly in the mix. I don't it, with born players they could all of a sudden just commit to some random school and mm-hmm. not have any idea what they're getting into. But right. in terms of the recruitment, from my understanding, State's done maybe the best job of anybody in terms of being in front of him and making contact. So as, as fair a shake as any of the programs. Yeah, I'd say I'd say they're in the in the in a good mix. Plus, obviously, they have a need. You know, yeah, Freeman right. and Anya aren't going to scare anybody away. I think the difference between this summer and last summer is Mark went to Greece last year hoping to convince the kids to play college basketball, yeah. knowing there was a better the average chance he was going to either play pro in Greece mm-hmm. or go in the, or try to get into the NBA draft. I think with Yurt Seven this year, he goes he went over to Turkey last week, two weeks ago, knowing the kid's going to play at least one year of college basketball. Mm-hmm. So from there, it's a little bit different. And there's a great sidebar on the kid from last year in Greece mm-hmm. yeah. that falls under the category of NC State stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, when I was asking Mark, uh, you know, I wrote this long story of where, where this season went wrong. Uh-huh. I kind of asked him, I'm like, you know, we, we talked about Trevor, and I said, you know, well, you know like maybe about Devontae Graham or Seth Allen, and he's like, ah, the one that got away was the, the kid in Greece. And I was like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, because ah, I thought from the jump that kid was never uh-huh. going to play in America. And he says, you know, I went over there and, and I'm convinced. And they're, they're telling me, the dad's telling me, yeah, yeah, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And, you know, we're tired of the, of the pro team. They're not playing them, the club team. They're not playing mm-hmm. them. And he goes, okay. So he comes back. He goes to Greece a second time. And by that point, the club team fired the head coach. His Greek, <laughs> the Greek uh-huh. team. So instead of going out and doing this long, drawn-out search, they promoted their assistant coach. Mm-hmm. And the first thing the assistant coach did was go up to the kid and say, and his dad, mm-hmm. and say, well, next year, we're, we're, we're going to put the offense all through you, and you're, you're going to play, and we're, we're going to take care of you. Uh-huh. And Mark's, you know, because the first time Mark left, he was thinking, I got it. I got this kid. Yeah. And then the second time he comes home, he's like, I, what just happened? <laughs> and I said to him, well, you know what that is? He goes, yes, let's yes, I know. Thank you. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Like how, how aware is Mark or anybody associated with the program of the term NC state stuff? Uh, I, I'm sure they can't be too pleased with the idea that there's this concept that people, you know, subscribe to, that only, that, yeah, that, that this stuff only happens to us, that sort of thing. Is is it is it something that they view as a yoke around their neck, or no. do they they just kind of? I, th- I think Mark or Debbie or um, Elliot in particular. I mean, Elliot's like the world's biggest NC State fan, so yeah. I mean, you could talk to him for hours about the topic. <laughs> um, but I think for the most part, I don't think it's something that they you know lose particular sleep over. I do think it's something like they would like to have success or, or a conference title, football, basketball, mm-hmm. to the point where you can kind of, you know, bury it like the Red Sox, just kind of bury right, it and, right. and move on and, and have your way. Um, some of that gets retconned, too. You know, like if something bad happens, we say mm-hmm. it's NC State stuff, even though is it really? I don't know. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like some of it's... <laughs> yeah. We kind of use it to fit a narrative, but... And sometimes there's also convenient looking past... 
genuine things that you know broke our way, genuine breaks that we get yeah. that uh, yeah. you know could yeah, be considered anti NC State stuff. Sure, that doesn't BJ, BJ shot, on yeah, hanging yeah, on that rim and falling in, <laughs> and then Abu not touching it. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. Fred I mean, Demarest enjoys telling me about that one, and I say, "Well, that's LSU stuff." So I, <laughs> yeah, that, I can't. <laughs> it was a battle of terrible things. They, they I can't some, get into that. They had some serious LSU stuff down there with Ben Simmons this year, but that's exactly a, that's a topic for another time. Um, all right, uh, expanding the the scope here uh, in the ACC, um, having a tremendous NCAA tournament. Obviously, it's good news for all the programs in the in the school or in the conference because it means. More money for the coffers. Over two, like $2.6 million every school's already earned or something like right. that. Or is that guaranteed to earn, I think, is what Ravel said. So we'll take uh, that with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, is is this been one of the most remarkable ACC, uh, you know, uh, NCAA tournaments in terms of the ACC? I mean, are, are there others that come to mind where, you know, the, the conference has been as successful? I don't think uh, – I guess '83 was the last time that two conference teams met in the conf- or in the uh, semifinals, right? Or the uh, not yeah. the, semi- the, uh, the regional finals. Yeah. So that was State and Virginia in '83. So I mean, this is a philosophical question. I'm like, do you consider Syracuse ACC? Like, <laughs> right. I don't. If, Notre we get, Dame. if we get paid for their success, I guess you will. Yeah, you're a little bit younger. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that's to them. I think it was '85. Five of the eight teams in the league made the tournament. That's wow. pretty remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now, 85 will always be remembered for the Big East having three teams in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you think about that, you know, the percentage of the teams in the conference making the actual tournament, that's pretty remarkable. But right. I just I struggle with the whole uh, trying to uh, rally around Notre Dame and Syracuse <laughs> yeah. and whoever else. I, don't, I can't even remember off the top of my head. Even Miami, I kind of – I'm touch and go with. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I grew up under the flag of an eight-team ACC, uh, and Florida State being added in the '90s was a culture shock in and of itself. So, <laughs> being where we are now with fourteen and a half, 15. For, <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. Uh, it's kind of weird, but um, yeah, you know, um, and there was I think somebody had a, a nice think piece about how you know the, the, this is the old biggest, biggest, big Easts. Uh, you know, strongest performance in a while in the in the NCAA tournament. But um, I, you know, I I think it's obviously it, it it benefits all the programs for for even the new guys to be doing well. Um, as soon as they picked up some good programs, yeah. Um, outside I, of BC, well, and it's odd because Syracuse was you know they were one of those teams that was they were kind of you know could have been uh, one of those teams that didn't make the field, uh, and here they are. Doing really well. It's, it's been a wacky tournament from the jump. We mentioned Michigan State falling to yeah. Middle Tennessee yeah. State, and certainly that's helped uh, some programs, helped Virginia to advance uh, in some respects. But uh, you know, it, it's from here. It is a little bit tough rooting for both Syracuse and Carolina to to have success. I think for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> for one of the yeah, two. I'll, I'll trade it off. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it would be tough seeing Carolina win another title, uh, just because that means that we're just that much further, further behind in, in the rearview yeah. mirror. You might, you might want to brace yourself. <laughs> yeah, it, it, once once I saw the bracket break their way after the second round, that was it was yeah. inevitable. Yeah, yeah they it, faced Indiana, but they lost to Wake Forest this year. It was 
And then Virginia loses. That's the only team that can beat them on that side of the bracket. And then they get to face a two seed on the other side. Yeah. Well, Joe, you had a great piece uh, about, or maybe it was just a string of tweets that I saw. Teams that get Virginia a second time tend to fare much better against them yeah. than they do the first time around. I saw that. And, and it looked like Virginia was going to beat Syracuse in a cakewalk, and then they went on that 25-4 to four run. Um, what do you think it is about facing Virginia a second time that makes it easier for a team? I mean, it must be more um, beyond just, you know, all teams seem to, uh, you know, perhaps fare a little bit better with familiarity. Sure. What is it about Virginia that makes them unique in that sense? I think, to me, the myth of Virginia is that they're this lockdown defensive team. The pack line. Yeah. And what they really are is a smart defensive team that makes it difficult for you to score easy baskets. Mm-hmm. So take for, take, for example, the state game at Virginia this year. In the first half, it was tied, right? And in the second half... State not understand cat not specifically not understanding they're giving you the three take mm-hmm. take what they're giving you mm-hmm. take the three instead he tried to go to the basket and was triple team that's what Virginia wants you to do yeah they take away what you want to do so I think the more you play them the more you understand what they want you to do and what they're giving you so going back even a few more years they were not going to give Scott Wood threes mm-hmm. they were they told C J Williams. Knock yourself out. <laughs> right. But it was still an open shot. Yeah. And, and the two times Mark beat them, it was both in the ACC tournament, and they were both return games. Both second time they saw them based on, okay, well, this is what this is what works, this is what doesn't work. Now, Syracuse has come back somewhat of an anomaly there. I don't know if it fits my theory. Right, right. <laughs> it, it helps in the, in the I, bottom line. I mean, there's 24 and 21 uh, in return games under him. Now, the whole thing that sparked me was I wish there was a round robin yeah. that you could see, mm-hmm. kind of like a you're true, saying familiarity, true, you know. True gauge of it. So I, you know, I don't. I, I think it's. I think he's still he's still thirteen and five, and basically, the games he's lost the last three or four years, they, they've been really good. I've been return games hmm. against good teams. Yeah, you know, I like you're going to sweep Virginia Tech every year, yeah. or uh, they were before, but right. yeah, but they play Duke every year twice and Carolina every year twice, then it it may change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, he's zero four against Carolina. Yeah. in return games. Yeah, yeah, and so th- that kind of tells you the difference. I think the Syracuse game, Richardson then started hitting some threes, and they were able to get inside in the first half of the State Virginia game at Virginia. Yeah, they hit some threes, and they were then all of a sudden a couple quick passes, and Leonard was getting layups, and it's like they have to at some point once you hit a few, they have to stretch out and respect mm-hmm. it, and that's natural. And then that gives you the option, but you got to come out hitting a few shots, or at least keep taking them till you get hot, and kind of go from there. A um, couple quick hitter points before we uh, take a break and then switch gears on the backside of the the break. Um, Pitt, they lose Jamie Dixon to TCU. <laughs> they get Kevin Stallings uh, brought in by the mastermind Todd they, Turner. They get uh, is a great uh, <laughs> great phrase. Not they landed or they <laughs> they they have Kevin Stallings. They ended up with. Um, it, I mean, everybody seems to be panting. That hire or that transition, at least, you know, they they view it as a downgrade for Pitt. Do you see it that way as well? Is it is it a kind of six one way half a dozen the other? Or I mean, I, I don't see Pitt being um, markedly better under Kevin Stallings versus the high points of Jamie Dixon's career. Here's the thing about Pitt: I think of all the teams that transition from the Big East to the ACC. They lost their identity somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. They used to be Clemson with more talent. Like they were a, 
a tough defensive team. They'd push you around. They'd rebound. They'd defend. And they would just beat you ugly. And all of a sudden, they got in the ACC and they decided, uh, all right, let's start, you know, throwing the ball. Let's not defend, you know. Let's state scored eighty something points on them this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they to me, they lost their way. Mm-hmm. And Dixon, who who's been up for like eight million jobs, I feel like he just kind of got a little spark there and decided, mm-hmm. you know what? I know the AD at TCU is where I went to school. Uh, my kids are grown now. I'm I'm taking a I'm going to take this job and. And get out. And his sister used to be the basketball coach there too. Sounds I think. about right. Yeah, I, I mean, so you know, you, you take a chance that you can get. Mm-hmm. I don't hate Stallings. Here's what I'll say about Stallings, and particularly in this first year, assuming Artis and Michael Young come back, mm-hmm. assuming mm-hmm. Sheldon Jeter's probably not coming back. Well, no, he already told his dad. Already told the papers up there. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's staying. That was that was after that tweet. I was <laughs> I was <laughs> bizarre. No, there's one. a zero percent. <laughs> Another chance. bizarre one. Um, was that the one with the Joker from the back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said something about chaos yeah. or whatever the quote about chaos. <laughs> but I think with Stallings, <laughs> they'll have a kids. they will have a clear offensive identity. Stallings, mm-hmm. who was a former assistant to Roy Williams a million years ago at Kansas. Yeah, apparently mm-hmm. they're really close friends. They are. Though. Yeah, I, I, and he's a lot like Roy. Their teams play a lot of offense. Their teams score points. Mm-hmm. Now Roy's best teams defend, but they're certainly <laughs> that's not his priority. Right. That's not Stallings' priority either. Um, you know, so I actually think next year they could be really good, mm-hmm. given the offensive talent that they have. Yeah. Now, yeah. how much of it comes back? Yeah, I know. Uh, that, I, I know that two two of their freshmen, one's from Durham, uh, uh, asked out of their uh, NLIs and Did all they? that. Yeah, Justice Kithcart and uh, I can't remember the other Manigo. I think was the other guy's name. So I mean, that, that's not a huge loss. Those are two three star freshmen that maybe one of them's gone, but James Robinson's gone. And you, have, you have a few people like that, but. Um, yeah, Artis and Young are great building blocks for a new coach. Yeah, and then I think yeah, I mean sometimes after a while you just kind of are at a place where you know it's it's time for a change. Um, we saw it here at NC State with Herb Sendek. It was just he he stalled out. Well, he's you know stalled out a little bit and was hearing grumbles and decided to take a an opportunity. Uh, I I wonder who um, if we'll hear any of the. Uh, Jamie Dixon was forced out for the more popular Kevin Stallings. <laughs> Probably not. Um, Georgia Tech has an opening, too. Yeah, Georgia Tech. So I haven't been able to really find any stories on maybe who could come in. I know their AD was at Xavier and did a great job of hiring coaches three straight. But their problem, of course, is the fact they're still paying Paul Hewitt. And they're going to be paying Bragger. Gregory. Yeah. So they've got some financial shackles that they Just have to deal go with. For, take a risk on a young coach that's... You know, I, yeah. I would say Chris Beard, but he's taking UNLV. You know, something like that. It's somebody yeah. that's just wanting to get in. And somebody that's willing to recruit the Atlanta area. Yeah, you which know. I mean, that's willing to. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a great area. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it seems like it's something they've struggled with doing. Over yeah, the years. they they got one kid coming in next year that's from Atlanta. That's really good. But yeah. outside of that, not much. Not since like Ghani Lawal in yeah. that area. All right, let's take a quick break here. Uh, we'll order some food, and uh, then we will rejoin you on the backside and talk a little bit of uh, non-revenue sports, Olympic sports, whatever the term is that Debbie wants us to use here on the Riddick and Reels podcast. At Amedios, the atmosphere is just as important as the great food. I'm quite the football fan, and coming to Amedios, I'm amazed of the amount of pictures here of past football players that attended NC State that are normally now have been in the NFL or are presently in the NFL. It makes me want to look at every single picture to see if I can recognize somebody or something from years gone by. Just a great 
place uh, with all the NC State history. I mean, you got the banners from Reynolds, all the uh, pictures from every era of NC State athletics, football, basketball, just tremendous history represented in the place. Amedios, great food and great atmosphere. All right, folks, welcome back to the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Uh, let's see. Uh, we we mentioned this real quick uh, off the air, and I forgot to ask this question in the first segment, but uh, the assistant coaching vacancy that's on our roster currently, uh, what you have heard at this point, uh, you mentioned there was a, a gentleman at Louisville that they had pursued, and he ended up ultimately staying at Louisville. Is that right? Yeah. I, mean, they, I think they're still in the process of trying to find their – it, this is basically a recruiting spot. Uh-huh. You know, last summer um, when Rob Moxley had his health problems, they moved um, Jeff Dunlap over and allowed him to go on the road to recruit. Uh, my understanding is they don't that Jeff doesn't want to recruit full time. He's got he's got kids and prefer to stay in his director of operations job. <laughs> right. So when they made when they changed Rob's job, they didn't make him the director of operations, which. I think most people kind of thought it would just be the flip, but that didn't happen. So obviously they're they're going to go outside and, and, and try to find a, essentially what is a recruiter to, to right. be their ace recruiter. Gotcha. So most likely a, a younger assistant coach, probably somebody who's just good at connecting with kids. You could ask me tomorrow's lottery numbers. I, <laughs> I probably have the same right. intel right now. Oh, and and I, we mentioned Sendek earlier, but he got hired by Santa Clara today. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised that Pittsburgh had no interest in him again, considering yeah, Todd Turner area. hired him here and was in charge of that job. <laughs> and search. he went to Carnegie Mellon. And he's he? from Pittsburgh. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I guess... If you're uh, looking for an uninspiring hire, I mean, why not just... <laughs> oh. Still a good coach, though. I mean... <laughs> no, I know. I'm just... I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Herb's fine. Herb's... I, I think Santa Clara is, a, is a, a good... I mean, it always sounds demeaning when you say it like that, but... You know, I think Santa Clara is, is a level where he could certainly have some success and probably be a team that could make it to the tournament and sure. do some damage once they get there. Um, all right, um, kind of news and notes and miscellaneous. Uh, you uh, you you wrote several pieces during the uh, great wrestling season that State had, uh, and uh, I thought it was great that you know they were getting some. Uh, you know, ink with the News and Observer uh, on that, and, and what a tremendous season it was. I mean, your thoughts on how it concluded? Of course, you know, uh, Gwizdowski finished without getting that third title, um, but still one of the great seasons in NC State wrestling history. Yeah, it's difficult for them because they did so much during the year, and then to have the finish that they had. Now, 11th is still the best finish since 1993, and it's still very good. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't it? Just wasn't what they had hoped for when the NCAA tournament started, right? And obviously, with the Guiz losing his last match, um, but it was it really was a spectacle um, to you know to be in the sold out Madison Square Garden for college wrestling. Yeah, and um, did the, you get to go and cover? I did. I went nice. up for the last day, and uh, the scene was was fairly amazing because Penn State obviously won the whole thing, and they have a lot of fans. I don't know if you've heard that before. <laughs> Um, but also, like, Cornell had, like, five, 6,000 fans there. Wow. <laughs> and when their guy won at one of the weight classes, he went up into the stands. It was, like, it was crazy. Like, it was it was a very cool scene. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to call my boy Robbie McLam out here a little bit because he wrote today about how Nick was the favorite in that match against Kyle Snyder, and he wasn't. 
Um, the people who were there, the, the people who were covering it, uh, and people who know wrestling, like you don't become a world champion at 19 by accident. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I think even uh, I think even the Guiz and, and uh, Coach Papalizio could tell you, you know, mm-hmm. that that kid was a just a machine. And uh, most people there in the building expected Kyle Snyder to win, right? Not the Guiz. And uh, do you think that he was up and that he out wrestled them for six and a half minutes mm-hmm. was a great story? And, uh, you know, to his credit, he just kept fighting instead of, as he pointed out, if I just stalled, right. Right. I win 6-5 yeah. and, or 5-4, and, and we, we um, talked I'm about a three-time it. champion. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we talked about it on the show after uh, the event. I mean, do you, do you think he takes the tactic of wrestling it all the way out to the end if he doesn't already have two national titles in his hip pocket, or... Do you think uh, he wrestles it the same way no matter what? I think he took it as a challenge. Again, I, if you were there, you're in the building. There's eight. I mean, there's eighteen thousand people there. Yeah, they were. They, they, I mean, they're in center stage in Madison Square Garden and his home state. His home state, and he. And he, there were people there who were cheering for him for sure. But it was more of like after all, there's only ten matches at night. For the, they're all, only the ten championship matches, and people were really looking forward to that match in particular mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that he tweeted afterwards was like I hope everyone got what they wanted yeah. he wasn't saying that as a bitter person he was saying that in terms of people came to see a good match and that's what they both delivered right. both of those guys and um, you know I, I I think he it was more of the challenge and as a competitor than it was in terms of was he thinking strategy now he probably should have been thinking strategy mm-hmm. but I think he in terms of I think he just got caught up in the moment of Again, out wrestling the guy for six and a half minutes, and then yeah, I mean, I think he was probably a little bit tired too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's tough to because, like you said, you're in a sold out MSG, and uh, you know you don't want to hear the crowd reacting to you stalling for sure. three minutes. And, the, and there was some of that during the night, like when people were stalling, clearly stalling, and mm-hmm. and not engaging the fans. We're getting on them. I mean, there was a lot of knowledgeable people, a lot, way more knowledgeable than me. Let me tell you. Um, but it was, and like I said, I think it was the bet, the competitor in him, mm-hmm. wanting wanting to beat him and leave no doubt that he beat him. So yeah, I don't think he hasn't. I mean, I, he said, "I that's what I should have done," but I, I didn't take that as a regret. I just took that as you know what. In retrospect, that's that was the way to win. But it's not the way I want it to win. And the yeah. team wasn't at that point really in contention for like the national, you know, like the team sure. national title. Yeah. Right. So it didn't really matter. I think they could have finished like seventh or eighth or something if he won, but eleventh. I think at the that highest point they could have gone was ninth, actually. Ninth, yeah. That's yeah. what So I first the difference was. between eleventh and ninth is, is negligible at that point. Yeah. Um so it's not like it was for a championship of any sort. It, it's kinda on him. It's his choice to, yeah. to do it. You don't have to yeah. strategize any specific way. And again he had him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so he had him beat, and then the guy got the two points you know, with like what five seconds left or something like, like that. Yeah, it was like twenty two seconds. So yeah. it's like, whew. yeah, if you want to go back to NC State stuff, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the decision to unredshirt randomly. Yeah, um, and he wasn't even in school. Kyle Snyder wasn't even in school the first semester. So That's I don't, I don't know how that eligible works, for but. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's a it's part of a you know tremendous um you know winter season that you know state has had so far and i've got the standings here that in the director's uh cup standings 
uh, overall state stands 14th in the country, uh, which, you know, very solid and fourth in the ACC behind Virginia, Carolina, and Syracuse. Yeah, schools uh, like Notre Dame. I mean, that's, yeah, they're always good at everything. Some school named uh, Duke, I think, is uh, 26th currently. Now, you know, a lot of these standings will change uh, as basketball results get finalized, and so we'll see some of this change. But, uh, you know, across the board uh, in, uh, unfortunately, a lot of sports that, you know, state fan or most fans, uh, I won't pin it just on state, but most college fans don't typically follow, you know, rifle or, you know, some of the other, you know, indoor track and field and those sorts of things. So uh, the success that states is enjoying in the Director's Cup standings is due in large part to a lot of the uh, supports that um, don't get a lot of the headlines and the ink and whatnot. Um, but, uh it's, it's something to be proud of nonetheless. I think it's, it's something that Debbie has made a focal point when, since she's been here at NC State, wanting to improve in those standings. Um, I'll ask the question, do you think um, <laughs> do you think these standings to your average NC State fan matter a great deal relative to success in football or basketball? No, I, I think it's nice, and I think Debbie's goal when she was hired was to be a top 25 program mm-hmm. in the Director's Cup standings. They we're very close, 26 or 24 last year. Um, and it's, But it's so hard when you're to have a disappointing seasons in football and basketball. It's kind of hard to tell the fan base, you know, hey, but we were number nine in swimming or we were <laughs> right. number 11 in wrestling. Not that you can't rally around those sports. Again, sure. I talk about Penn State being up in that, up in that building. You know they're they're terrible in basketball, and their football team was five and seven or whatever it was, seven and five. I mean they would, they were no great shakes, but they're quite proud of their wrestling program. Mm-hmm. It's won five titles in six years, you know. So, um, I think there's a consolation to it. I think you know, obviously, the ultimate goal is you want to see not only uh, success with your non-revenue sports, but obviously success and making the most of your chances in football and basketball. I thought, you know, this year for football was just one of those years where they the the schedule was there, the opportunity was there to have a better year than they did. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, and there's a lot of them, we don't need to go into those, uh, it just didn't happen this year. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe next year when nobody expects anything, they maybe they'll have even have the same record, but people will be excited, <laughs> right? Because of how difficult their schedule is. But no, I think in general, people want to want to be good in the good sports, and if you are good in the other sports, that's great. But I don't think anyone's going to a bar, yeah, tomorrow at the airport <laughs> saying, watch "Hey, man, cross country." <laughs> well, you're not going to go argue with a Carolina fan tomorrow either, with their football eleven wins and basketball yeah. ACC title, Final Four. Like, and mm-hmm. by the way, Carolina's what six, yeah. seven, so. Yeah. Either way, you don't. You, you, I think you get my point. Sure. Yeah. No. It. You know. You. You're. You're thumping your chest about the things that you know we all talk about on a day to day basis. You know, between average fans or, you know, what we see discussed on Sports Center and those sorts of things. And, um, yeah. It, it's. I, I think it's. It show. It speaks to the you know overall health of the athletics program, and it's good. It's a good sign. Uh, you can't certainly neglect the other sports to just focally, focus strictly on football and basketball. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you, you want to have that sort of success coupled with, you know, strong seasons in football and basketball. Um, speaking of football, a new offensive coordinator. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think he's, he also takes the mantle as quarterback's coach as well. Eli, is it Eli, Eli Drinkwitz? Um, 
what do you expect uh, from him? You know, with as we approach spring football, have you had a chance to kind of dive into that sort of stuff? Yeah, I've talked to him a couple of different times, mostly before spring practice started. Um, you know, you, you have to admire the success that he had at Boise State and his other, and who he's learned from. Mm-hmm. Um, those are all positive things. I think if you're NC State, kind of like Virginia basketball, maybe you try to. Maybe not. Maybe just build a better mousetrap. Maybe you're not. You're probably not going to beat Florida State and Clemson at their own game. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a very difficult year in terms of the schedule, in terms of some of the changes that they have on the offensive line. But I, I think what Dave Doran's done is he's kind of identified some areas where he feels like the program can be improved, and he's trying to make those changes. And I think that's at least a positive step for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we might as well talk about football. I don't think Jacoby Brissett had a great year last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that they blame on Matt Canada, or I don't know how much of that they blame on not having enough players around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for for to me, the, the only way for them to have made a jump last year was for Jacoby to have a really good year. He was not bad. He was not actively bad, certainly. But he didn't have the year that they needed him to have right. in order for them to be a, a 9, 10, 11 win team. Mm-hmm. So... By going out and getting uh, Eli Drinkwitz, you're getting a guy who had success with a first-time starter at Boise State this year. NC State will have a first-time starter this year. This and this is the most important season for Dave Doran in terms of the. They have to get that position right. Mm-hmm. I realize we're sitting in a room where there's pictures of Russell Wilson and Mike Lennon and Philip Rivers, and just because you have a good quarterback doesn't mean you're going to be a good team or or a great team. Mm-hmm. Those teams are certainly good, but they weren't great. Um. But that's a really important position. And so I think um, by going out and getting Drinkwitz, I think it was a good move. It'll be interesting to see how well he can get what and what he can get out of Jalen McClendon um, or Jacoby Myers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they certainly have some really good uh, running backs, some better skill players. It'll be interesting to see how some of these new, bigger receivers do. I think that was a real downfall for last year, not having receivers who could make plays. Mm -hmm. Jalen Samuels is not a receiver. I mean, he makes plays, and that's okay. Same thing with Naheem Hines, but at some point, you got to have a guy you could throw the ball up to. Yeah, for whatever right. reason, even like an they didn't Owen, want that Owen to be David Spencer Greenwich. or somebody sure, like that, like sure. the, the, he would just jump up and snag it a couple times. Make a play. Russell yeah. just knew that he was there, and he just launched it up there. And and you have to have that safety valve, and that maybe Freddie Simmons is that guy. I don't. I mean, you have um, C.J. Riley, six six, somebody. Yeah. So that's why they've been wanting to add size because they've been getting a lot of the playmakers. Yeah, they've just been looking for. I mean, all Days the- is coming back. Uh, Johnny Frazier is going to have a good year. Yeah, I mean, they got guys who can make plays. They just need more. They, that's why they got a little bit more variety of guys. They got make. Riley, Kelvin Harmon, six two. Um, you know, they, they added some some guys. Deshaun Stevens, who's not highly rated, but he's six two 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 oh five. Jarvis Williams type. So yeah. And bringing in a new offensive coordinator gives you the ability to throw the competition wide open for mm-hmm. quarterback. Uh, you know, you mentioned that Myers is in that mix as well. So it's not the, the position uh, is not just going to be handed uh, strictly to Jalen McClendon. It could be Myers that we see under center. So uh, maybe that will be one of the key things that we look for on uh, you know the spring game is you know see how some of those reps shake out and how the team performs. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited by the potential based on what he was able to do at Boise State um, and uh, th- that type of offense. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how his system is implemented here at NC State. 
Yeah, and, and he certainly has his work cut out for him on the offensive line, mm-hmm. and also and also the schedule. That schedule is crazy. I yeah. mean, if Louisville and Miami are half as good as what they could be, I mean, yeah, you're done. There's there's no you're there's just no breaks there. there. There's just not, right. There's nothing there. The second game is ECU at ECU. Yeah, yeah maybe that's not the Clemson, but for State, that's a big game. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a game you got to have uh, as the rest of the schedule unfolds. Um, so, well, I guess that uh, that pretty much does it. I, I don't know that we need to uh, delve too much more uh, down any of the other rabbit holes. But Joe, thank you very much for for rejoining us, and good to see you again, Matt. Again, thank you for your time. Uh, so I'll say so long here for the Riddick and Reynolds podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.